Hello, I'm Juliet Mann and this is the Agenda podcast, CGTN Europe's one-stop shop for smart, in-depth discussion of the issues that really matter in the world today. This week, I'm at the Club de la Fondation in Brussels for an event hosted by Peking University and China's Chamber of Commerce to the EU. There are diplomats here, business leaders and academics, all talking about the evolving landscape of China-Europe economic and trade relations. Let's start by hearing from His Excellency Fu Chong. We're here in Brussels. We're mm. at this event that is about navigating the, the new era of yes. the evolving um, economic and trade relationship between China yeah. And Europe. Mm-hmm. What's new about that relationship? Well, it is first. It is uh, actually a gradual resumption of the contacts between the two sides after the three years of pandemic. And I'm very glad to see that actually there is a good momentum. And I'm sure you have seen the there's a flurry of uh, uh, high-level uh, visits to Beijing uh, last month, and uh, the. Uh, in the, couple, in the past couple of weeks, and actually starting from, uh, from December, starting from President Michel's visit to, yeah. to China, and, uh, the, uh, and then followed by uh, a senior official and senior leaders uh, from, from the European side. And now the, there is a good momentum uh, for the bilateral relations. And also the, uh, the, uh, from the Chinese side, we also have received a, a number of senior level uh, delegations to Europe. Uh, so actually this signifies a, a new start uh, for the uh, bilateral relations. You, you do think that the relationship between China and the, the European Union is important? You've said it before. Yes. Why in particular? Is it all about trade? No, it's not. Actually, as I said, indeed, in terms of trade, China and the EU are complementary towards each other. And also, actually, we are the, the second largest trade partners to each other. So indeed, that shows importance. Uh, but actually, our relationship does not stop there. And in terms of the uh, politics, political aspect, uh, as I said, the, uh, we see Europe as an important uh, power center in the world. It has uh, a great role to play on the world stage. And there are so many things that China and the EU have in common. And we all advocate multilateralism, for instance. And there are uh, global issues that China and EU are willing to cooperate uh, in order to tackle these global issues, for instance, the climate change, for, for one thing, and other issues like the non-proliferation of weapons of mass destruction, and also the, uh, the people-to-people contact. Actually, there is a fountain of goodwill on both sides. And, uh, and actually, this actually constitutes the basis uh, for uh, good relations uh, between the, the two sides. You, you mentioned climate change. Yes. Um, also, at this conference, they've talked a lot about the digital transformation Indeed. and the, the links that there can be there. Mm. You know, China's um, big on solar um, mm. farms, yeah. on, on, um, on wind power, and yes. um, on electrification. Mm-hmm. How reciprocal do you see the relationship? Well, actually, uh, yes, indeed, these are new areas that China and EU can cooperate. And so uh, we are, uh, actually, there's quite a lot of uh, Chinese investment in in Europe in those areas, for instance, the the new uh, energy and also the the new energy vehicles. And and also China is exporting the uh, solar panel as well. And also... And indeed, Europe 
is, is also quite advanced in, in terms of the green technology. And we also welcome the, uh, the, uh, the European companies to invest in China. And, uh, and also uh, there's a great potential. All these are the, the new areas that uh, China and uh, Europe can cooperate both in terms of the technological cooperation and also in terms of trade, which will benefit both sides and I would say benefit the whole world. It all makes business sense, but let, let, let's talk about some of the stumbling blocks because mm-hmm. you know, the relationship between the United States and, and China has been under scrutiny for, for, mm. for quite um, some time. Mm. You know, how do you see that playing out into the rest of 23 and how do you see it affecting the relationship that China has with Europe? Well, China and, and the United States are, are important powers in the world. And indeed, the relationship between our two countries is going through a very difficult period. Um, but uh, China wishes to improve its relations with all countries, including the United States. So uh, uh, we will be happy to see an improvement of the relationship. And, uh, but I'm thinking of words like you know, decoupling, you indeed, know, de- de-risking. Indeed. How do you see that affecting... And Things that indeed, uh, well, as far as China is concerned, we are sincere in maintaining good relations with all countries. And I don't think uh, it is appropriate for anyone to talk about decoupling, uh, either from China or from any other country. And actually, I'm glad to hear that it's not only the Euro- European leaders, but also the American leaders are, are also saying that uh, a decoupling is not a viable option. Uh, but de-risking, yes, people are talking about de-risking. As I said uh, in my intervention just now, we need to put this into proper perspective. We should not exaggerate this issue. And uh, furthermore, de-risking should not become uh, decoupling just in another name. That is also important. But coming back to our relationship with EU, I think uh, we, as I said, uh, we see EU as an important uh, independent uh, a partner, and uh, it should have its own strategic autonomy, and it should have, and it is only uh, reasonable or rational or sensible for people to expect Europe to play an independent role, uh, both in the political arena and also in the economic sphere. You talked about two sessions and mm. China's commitment to continue that high-quality growth. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about China's plans to, to modernise, modernisation. Yeah. Much discussed here, um, here too. Um, what, what's your take on, on that modernisation? And, and again, what impact is that going to have on China's relationship with Europe? Because we're here in Brussels yeah. and with the rest of the world. Actually, well, uh, as the President Xi explained, there are a number of prominent features uh, in our Chinese modernization uh, program. Uh, first, it's, it's uh, the, uh, a modernization in the, in the most populous country. And also, uh, our objective is to achieve uh, uh, equity and so to, to, to reduce the gap between the rich and the poor. And also, it, it will be a modernization uh, which actually try to keep the balance uh, between nature, uh, with the nature, so and harmony with the nature. And also, there is another aspect which should be uh, uh, draw, we should draw at our international audience to the attention. That is, our a Chinese modernization path is going to be a peaceful one. It will not be uh, through 
colonization, for instance, or, or through wars, or, or through uh, uh, pillarizing the uh, pillaging uh, the other countries, for instance. So that is, we will rise peacefully. That is important. And uh, what is imp uh, the uh, the relevance to, to to Europe? Of course, it has huge relevance to Europe and to the world. Economically, when China modernizes, I'm sure the, the, uh, the, there's huge potentials and huge opportunities uh, for, for other countries like Europe. The, uh, the huge opportunities uh, for, for the whole world, including Europe and economic ones. And also the, uh, and in terms of the, of, of the foreign policy. So when China arises peacefully, uh, it, it is in the interest of the whole world. And here we, we also uh, want to engage uh, with other uh, partners uh, in a peaceful manner. And so that, as just now I mentioned, the, uh, the, the global governance and so, so many other things that China is willing to cooperate with other countries. Since you mentioned it, I'm, mm. I'm going to ask you about yeah. war, yeah. about conflicts that, that mm. are taking place. You know, Ukraine is very much shaping yeah. what's happening with global supply chains, with the energy sector. Mm. And Europe and China have had very different approaches in how you've reacted to that. Actually, for us, uh, our position has been explained on numerous occasions. So it can be summed up in one word, peace. So uh, we would like to facilitate peace. And for us, the, uh, what is most important to have the ceasefire as soon as possible, because we want to put a stop to the senseless killing uh, that is happening as we speak. And uh, the, uh, that is very important. So we know that there are complex uh, reasons uh, for this conflict. And, um, but uh, the, the, the differences can only be resolved through peaceful negotiation. They cannot be resolved on the battlefield. That is our firm belief. And that is why China has been talking to both sides, both to Russia and also to Zelensky, uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine. And I'm sure you're aware that uh, President Xi had uh, recently made a phone call. And actually, uh, we are going, China is going sending a special envoy uh, to, uh, to try to facilitate peace. And, uh, and he's going to visit uh, Ukraine and some European capitals and also Russia. And uh, so these are the, uh, the uh, Chinese efforts to try to facilitate peace because we firmly believe that uh, whatever differences that may exist uh, between countries, uh, uh, the only viable way to resolve them is through peaceful negotiations. It cannot be through war. Ambassador Fu, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. One of the key topics under discussion here in Brussels is where the real trading opportunities lie for China and the European Union. Which sectors are hot and which are not? I spoke to Bernard DeWitt, president of the Belgian-China Chamber of Commerce. Bernard DeWitt, it's great to have you on the agenda. Now, when you come to events like this that are about forging closer trade and investment ties between China and the European Union. You look around the room. Do you like what you see? I don't like what I see. I don't like what I see because I see so many Chinese faces, some coming directly from China, some being here in Europe, and I see not many European faces. I think it's a pity, it's a missed opportunity because we have the opportunity to meet uh, Chinese companies. We need 
to the, we need the opportunity to meet Chinese economic leaders and we don't make use of it. So what's the sticking point? Uh, are too many bosses believing what they read in the papers? Well, that can be part of it. Uh, second is also due to COVID. During three years, there was nearly no travels to China from European um, business people, politicians, and so on. Now we see it changing, but it's changing slowly. It could go a little bit faster. Uh, we see some politicians, President Macron, uh, the German Chancellor, went to China. Uh, many political leaders from Europe are now going back to China, and I think it's a good sign. Um, we need also to have now more business people going back to China. Uh, what is, makes me more optimistic is the fact that we have a certain number of European companies present in China and well present. They remained during the pandemic. They are still there and they are still making profitable business. That is a good sign. The point is maybe the challenge is more for small and medium-sized enterprises from Europe. Because what we see is that the big enterprises are there and stayed there. Small and medium-sized um, well, left a little bit uh, the market, uh, the Chinese market, also because of the distance, because of some difficulties due to the pandemic. Now, the challenge, and challenge, for instance, for chambers of commerce or for uh, special platforms, is to push these uh, small and medium-sized companies to go back to China and also to attract some of the uh, middle-sized companies from China to Europe. Because the biggest number of companies in the economic world are small and medium-sized companies. Huh? So there is a big opportunity there. So you talk about small and medium-sized firms as being the, the engines of growth, not just at home, but abroad. Just, just give us a flavour of how important the relationship is between Belgium and China, but also the broader European Union. You know, what, what do those European companies do for the Chinese economy? Well, um, what they do for the Chinese economy is the fact that they are coming to China. They are employing people, so that is good for the local economy. They are bringing some technology. We know that China, in several fields, is now leading, but we still have some leading companies in specific sectors in uh, Europe, like in the green uh, energy, in these uh, kind of uh, uh, companies, are there uh, and are going to China. So there is a possibility uh, to uh, develop. Healthcare, we see, for instance, uh, in China, it's a big challenge. Uh, healthcare for senior people, for very old people. We have the habit in Europe of uh, taking care of very old people in specific institutions. There, they, there is a certain know-how that we can bring also to China. But this being said, I'm not going to say that we are going to teach the Chinese a lesson. No way. The time is finished uh, for that. And I think uh, most of people in Europe understand that. Um, we need to, be, to have exchanges on an equal basis. Um, we can bring something, but we can learn also from the Chinese. And we can learn from the Chinese uh, in the digital economy. I'm impressed to see, for instance, when you go to China now, 
don't bring uh, coins, don't bring banknotes. Uh, you just bring your uh, phone uh, and make a payment through your phone. And everyone's using it, aren't they? It's not just the, the, the bright young things, it's old and young. So that's a real digital transformation. That, that is a big transformation. And I think when our Chinese friends are coming here to Europe, well, maybe they have the impression to come back in the past because in Europe we are still used to use a bank card, a credit card, or uh, uh, even a banknote. Um, this time it's nearly over, especially in the big cities in China. So what about the other way around? Because you're talking about it being reciprocal. And you're saying, right, you know, a lot of European companies, the big ones, uh, are quite now embedded in terms of the, the Chinese economy. A lot of Chinese investment is being poured into Europe. Definitely. A lot of in Chinese investment is important. It's important the fact that they uh, have uh, uh, many employees uh, here in Europe and that this uh, country can benefit from that. They bring also some technology. Um, let's imagine, uh, let's see, I recently saw um, some big car companies from China specializing in electric cars. Uh, BYD, uh, Volvo, uh, uh, Geely, um, this company, Geely, let's take it, example. G Volvo has a plant here in Belgium. They are making cars. It was a Swedish company. It was taken over by a Chinese company, Geely. People said at the time, Ooh, we are going to lose our jobs. It's finished. Well, what do we see now? They are engaging more people uh, to work in the factory. The factory is exporting from Belgium uh, with Belgian workers. So there, I think, it's a win-win situation. It's good for Geely Group because it's profitable. It's good for Belgium because they pay taxes in Belgium. They employ people. They pay social security. They respect the law. So what should we ask more? So when you have conversations at the Chamber of Commerce uh, with companies from, from around the world, China in particular, um, are you talking about jobs and the tax take for you? Or are you, are you thinking about what you can give as well? Well, I think both. Um, don't be naive. Um, if I want to do business with you, well, I want to get some profit from the business I will do with you. But I also know I will bring something to you. Otherwise, you will tell me, look, guy, you are only thinking to your own profit. I am making losses because of you. I will not do the business. So we, you need to have a win-win situation. And I think um, that is now the, the challenge for the coming months and years. Um, it's to find common grounds where we can find uh, our mutual interest. Uh, there can be some sectors called sensitive sectors, where uh, it would be limited here in Europe to European companies or even to national companies uh, or in China to Chinese companies. We can understand that, but there are so many other sectors. So don't focus on some sectors which would be close to the others and say by looking at that the market is closed. Focus more on all the other uh, aspects on all the other sectors that are still open, that are going to grow. 
What is interesting also in China, I think, with my European eyes, is that when you listen to President Xi Jinping, when you look at what is written, they always say, we want to remain an open economy. That is important. At a time when people speak about protectionism, about closing borders, at the top of China, it is said, we want to remain open with an open economy. Let's use these words. Let's take it uh, and let's uh, make something from that. Uh, there are opportunities. So you're saying stop focusing on the things that you know are going to be sen sensitive and, yeah, and look to the opportunities and, and that potential for, for, for partnership and cooperation. Which sectors do you think are really ripe for that reciprocal um, investment and cooperation? And which sectors could do with a little bit of a boost? For instance, logistics. Logistics, very important sector. Here in Belgium, we have the, the Port of Antwerp and Zeebrugges, uh, who are um, having a lot of contact with uh, Chinese port, who, where we have uh, Chinese companies very active uh, in these ports. We have uh, airline companies doing cargo flights uh, with China. Here in Liège, uh, Belgium, we have uh, China, a branch of uh, Alibaba Group, uh, having uh, headquarters uh, here uh, for bringing um, goods with the e-platforms. These are uh, things that uh, are going to develop, that we have to uh, move ahead uh, with them. We see also, well, the digital economy. Huh? The digital economy, uh, we need, and I think we should look more at what China is doing, because there are, there are also, there have been many opportunities that have been created in China through the digital economy. It is growing in Europe, maybe not as fast as in China, and there could, there could be more links. You've mentioned the pandemic a few times as being an impediment, a, a bump in the road, if you like, putting the brakes on trade relations, investment and, and cultural exchanges too. Um, but the economic backdrop is complicated. The geopolitical backdrop is complicated. That plays into it too. No, that, that is true. And there are a lot of challenges and, uh, in the geopolitics. Uh, we see, for instance, that Europe is very much preoccupied with Ukraine. Ukraine, for Europe, is a, a big problem. Um, what I see, and here I give you my personal opinion, um, I personally think that what China did by making a proposal uh, concerning Ukraine was first courageous, because uh, you know that... Uh, it's easier to criticize than to bring something, to bring something that will not please everyone, but it's something positive, at least to try. Alors, we, we can say we don't like, uh, we, we do not agree with part of it, but what would people have said if China would have said, we give all the weapons to Russia and we go to war? No, China is playing uh, a diplomatic role, is playing a, a peaceful role. I think we should uh, listen to that uh, instead of just saying we, uh, we don't want to discuss uh, what China is proposing. At least we should listen uh, and uh, start a discussion with China. Um, that is one example. There are many uh, challenges, you see. Alors, yes, 
economically, we can be also competitors. Well, that has been in the past, it will be in the future, like we have competitors within Europe. Uh, definitely, that's the economic life, uh, and that is good. And in competition, sometimes you make agreements, sometimes you fight, sometimes you win a market. Um, that is the normal competition, you see. You talk about competition, so I, I, I need to ask you about uh, the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States and um, how that has been described to some as being written with China particularly in mind. Do, do you think it, it changes the reputation of this openness you speak of? Well, that, it's a big challenge for European companies, I would say, uh, because uh, uh, this uh, Inflation Reduction Act is in fact uh, attracting uh, foreign investment to the US um, and um, will uh, have maybe a Choice certain... foreign investment though. Right, right, right. Huh? Uh, alors, some European companies will more focus on the US market, but there also, uh, I think, global companies will be there in China as in the US. China, 1.4 billion people, which means uh, consumers, which means needs for a certain number of goods, of materials, and so opportunities for uh, European companies, even for US companies. When you look economically, the number uh, of US companies active in China, exporting to China, is also huge, even though politically there are tensions, but economically, business is going on. That is also something you don't read often, you don't listen often to. So business goes on. Now, something else which is shaping the trade and investment relationship, um, not just between China and the European Union, but worldwide, is that um, thrust towards sustainability. And, and how do you think that um, Ursula von der Leyen's Green Deal is going to impact the economic picture? Uh, that is the, the, the new challenges, I would say, and we have here in Europe uh, also the words taxonomy, uh, where companies will have to uh, uh, comply with uh, stricter uh, rules concerning uh, sustainability, concerning uh, green uh, in their activities. But what we see is in China you have the same. In China, you have the same reaction of the government uh, pushing their companies uh, towards that. So I think there also we should have a dialogue with China on these aspects because the problems are the same. The earth uh, is the same. So we are uh, here with, the, with common challenges that we, we need to face. The best way is to face it together. Um, it's not easy. Uh, we are not sure to, to win. Uh, we all hope. And personally, I'm an optimistic because when I see uh, the progress that has been made in many technologies, uh, I think we can uh, go over. But we need uh, the help of each other. Um, it's not by closing the borders, working each uh, on our little territory. No, we need to have more uh, economic exchanges, cultural exchanges. And with that, we can hope that uh, politically um, there can be also uh, some more dialogue. Bernard DeWitt, always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much.
thanks for listening to this edition of the Agenda podcast. Do join me next week when I'll be in Geneva at the World Economic Forum's Growth Summit to consider just where future growth might come from and how we can make sure it remains resilient. Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find more Agenda content on CGTN Europe's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Telegram and YouTube channels. Until next time, goodbye. The most interesting questions. Are there other living beings beyond Earth? Will man or machine be in charge? Great question. Always have more than one answer. Well, hold on, uh, let me just draw up a list. And always come from more than one person. That's where the credibility lies. The concept of having a machinery which is alive and evolving didn't wait for us. The end of inequality of incomes and wealth around the world, can you imagine how difficult that is at the moment to achieve? Every episode, Stephen Cole, Murray Beveridge and some of the brightest minds out there shed light on the answers to some of the most intriguing questions. There are two ways of looking at this. Machines can't really discriminate between civilian and military targets. The Answers Project. Maybe we need to just look at this in a bit more detail. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. The Answers Project, a new podcast from CGTN Europe.